Hey, welcome to Stirring Faith with Cherry Strange. Thank you for joining me today. Stirring Faith aims to lead women to desire more of God in their everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Now, let's get started. Hey, welcome to the podcast. As soon as I complete this broadcast and drive the car around for a while, do all the mom things, I'm going to pull out my supplies and refill my nails. I'm going to do my own fill. My natural nails are sort of soft and brittle and they're, they're really not in good shape. I was messing with them all the time. So years ago, I went and had them professionally done. Acrylic, I know that's terrible for your nails. You can get a dip now, things like that. But uh, besides drinking a 79 cent soda, I really don't do anything else. I go about once a month. That's about it. I don't even get my hair cut, but maybe once a year. But with COVID and the salon shut down, I had to resort to my own resources. You could not go and have your nails done, but I can YouTube with the best of them, and that's exactly what I did. I found some great videos where they made suggestions for even what you should buy, and it came. I made the necessary purchases, figured out that I would break even if I just did it three times, because, you know, we were thinking this thing wasn't going to last very long. Well, it did last for quite a while, and I've had time to practice. (laughs) I've made my money back and then some. The first two or three or four or five times I tried it, they honestly look pretty bad. If you've ever tried to do your nails, but this is with all the other stuff that has to go with it. It didn't really matter because who's going to see me? Those were the days when we were wearing our yoga pants, pretty much just eating whatever we could find at the grocery store, and we were bored out of our heads from having completed all our projects. And we'd put off for five or ten years, and now they're done. Well, I started thinking about this, that when we wanted to learn something, what did we do before YouTube? What did we do before we could just Google it? Or even before that, I thought back, well, we just went to the library, right? We just found the library. What did we do before the libraries? The same thing. If you wanted to know something, you would find an expert. That's what we find Jesus doing with his disciples. For some amount of time during their three-year journey together, these 12 guys had watched Jesus disappear for the sole purpose of praying. He'd disappear and then he'd come back. And finally, one of them recognizes his prayers are super effective. They're not like ours. They're not like the religious leaders they had known before. And he says, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I don't know where you are when it comes to prayer. If you pray anytime during a typical week, statistics say you likely pray daily. And that's about 68% of the adults in America. They pray daily is what they report. And I would wager that the disciples fit into that category, that they would be the ones praying daily. But they were still looking for their present day TED talk to show them how to do it better. They didn't feel like they had a clue after being with Jesus. Or, or maybe they didn't have time, like he carved out the time, and maybe they didn't see the importance of it. Or could it be they didn't believe it would make much of a difference? Maybe life was just filled with distractions like mine's been today. It's possible prayer was not a planned event, so it didn't occur regularly, and it didn't go very deeply. They may have felt like they were something special and didn't really need it. <laughs> they were a disciple, so it didn't matter. Or maybe like some of us, because of prior experiences, they had experienced enough disappointment that what was the point? In personal prayer. I mean, of course, collectively, we could ask for things on other people's behalf, but not personally. And maybe they just didn't know if it would work for them. So they asked him, 
how do we pray? And we find his response in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. In Matthew, Jesus begins by addressing what not to do. And then he offers a model to follow that I think we would do well to take and use for ourselves to learn better how to pray. So we're first going to talk about today what not to do according to Jesus. And then we're going to address what we should do and how we can just use this prayer as a model. In Matthew it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In verse 7 it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. He responds to the first what not to do in the mix. And this they had seen him live out. But it was unlikely that the super Jews in the religious culture were doing this. He said in the middle, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What I have learned is that Easterners did not pray the way you and I typically pray. There's none of this bow your head and close your eyes and be silent business. They always prayed out loud. And that's why you see Hannah getting reprimanded in the tabernacle, mistaking her distress for being drunk. Daniel opens his windows and prays for deliverance when he's taken to the king. Standing to pray was normal. Jesus does not knock any of these practices. What he is saying is what you and I want to say to the girl with the attention-getting exaggerated laugh or the show-stopping two-syllable sneezer. Stop it! Prayer is not about you. Stop trying to gain the attention of those around you to make you look good at God's expense. He's not fooled by such shenanigans. And in that strain, your words are not all that. When they're used to sound good and nothing more is what we might get as a response. These pretenses are selfish. They're false. They're even wicked. To try to cause people to think you are what you're not, Jesus says, leave it. Instead, before Jesus even gets to the substance of the prayer, what they've asked him to teach them, he sets his voice straight about the soundness of the very act. First of all, it's got to be personal. Prayer's not to be seen. It's not about that. It's an interchange between you and an unseen God. So the first point Jesus makes is that prayer's personal. Beth Moore tells a story about her mom who every time she prayed would get God her full name and her full address just to make sure there was no confusion on who she was. You and I do not need to do that. God has the capacity to know you without your helpful reminders of your full name and your address. He knows you well enough to find you wherever you might be. He is a personal God and can therefore meet you in secret places, which is what Jesus recommends. He suggests you make it personal and then he suggests to make it private. Maybe your version says go into your room or maybe go into your closet. Either way, it literally means store chamber. Go into your store chamber. This was usually a dark closet in a traditional home in which articles at night were stored during the day. You know, they didn't have homes like we do with lots of room. They had to put things away and then get things back out according to their space and their need. Privacy requires two things from us. Number one, pick a place. Make it the same place every day. Peter went on the roof. Daniel lived alone, so finding a private spot in his home wasn't difficult. Whatever, just pick a place you can regularly go to pray. Not your car during your commute. Although, pray in that time, but that's not where you're meeting with God. There are too many distractions. 
But maybe you have an office at work where no one is going to be and you have a set time that you can do that. I know for years my spouse ran his own business. With a growing family, finding privacy is difficult. So he started going in early for work when no one needed him or would be calling him or knocking on his door. And for those same years, I claimed a space and a time on our living room couch when no one was awake. But right now I have a literal place. Mine is really a tight space, so no one likes it. The ceiling's really low, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because I'm short. My boys have a spot in their closet. Two of my girls have the same situation. It doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't even need to be clean. No one needs to take a selfie. Just pick a place. Also, for it to be private, you've got to be by yourself. Get by yourself. Finding privacy in a household filled with people is a challenge, but even for us, it's not impossible. You just have to work around the clock. Maybe make the commitment to carve out the time. My, my times for prayer have changed even and especially over the last year because I went from everyone already being in school, we'd already made that jump, back to everyone being at home all the time. To get by myself required a recalibration of the day. I literally had to get up earlier, otherwise it just wasn't going to happen. So I had to make those adjustments to make sure that it did. So that's all part of making it private to pick a place and to get by yourself. The next thing we find before Jesus treks into the content of the prayer, he calls us to speak freely because God knows what you need before you ask is what he says. He takes all the trepidation out of it. Not only that, there is this great confidence given. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So we want to speak up. So really, there's no need to be shy which is my tendency. I don't want to be a bother. This is something I battle with because it's just not biblical. Nowhere do we find a command to come before God with small requests because that's what he can handle. There will not be any disappointment. There will not be any disappointment if I keep it small and impersonal. Will there? No. So I do that way too often. But John Bunyan, the minister who wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison for preaching the gospel, was known to tell of beggars who went to beg at a house some took small bowls and some took larger bowls but no matter how rich or able the owner of the estate was where they went to beg the giver could not give them any more than was in their capacity to carry so the ones who brought the small bowls took them home full but the ones who brought larger ones also took theirs home full as well we have to wonder at the significance of jesus placing this here before getting into the nitty-gritty substance of how we should pray the call here is to speak up, bring a big bowl. Next, Jesus gives them this model prayer to follow and for us to follow. It's not that we need to recite the particular prayer over and over again, but to follow the pattern. What I hope to leave you with is not a scholarly discourse on the particular prayer, but a helpful pattern that you can use every day. It says to pray then like this. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want to remember he is our Father. It's a different relationship than coming to beg at a stranger's house. God is our Father. Jesus wants first and foremost for us to know him, that we have access in the most intimate and privileged way possible and we have permission to act like it we want to remember that he is our father and then we focus on the greatness of God hallowed be your name we want to pray his name be kept holy what does it mean to do this to hallow his name simply that we feel his greatness 
In the Bible, in the language, God's name was all that could be known of God as he has revealed himself. That's what made up his name. We live in a world that is constantly working against the greatness of God to make him seem smaller, lesser, and nothing special. And unless we fight against it here, we could be led astray. Our view of God should be ever-expanding. He should become more awe-inspiring tomorrow than he was last year. It's not a fangirl sort of awe, but a knowing wonder. So we want to pray that his name be kept holy. The next part says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray the kingdom in our prayers. God's kingdom in heaven rules. Everyone does what they ought because his will is accomplished. There is no sickness, no dying, no deceit. All have a relationship with him and there is no evil. Jesus is calling us to pray this down from heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the borders of Christianity to burst open is what he's praying so that they cannot be contained to eradicate what we can embrace what we should and forget all other pursuits that fade away our greatest problem in praying this is that we don't really want it for this to happen means we have to participate we have to give up what we want and that price is often just too high this is the heartbeat of Jesus for the kingdom of God to come and for his will to be accomplished here now today just as it is in heaven where everything is just as it should be what this should tell us is that Jesus believed it was possible to move that direction. Not that we should accomplish world peace, but that we could witness a gospel expansion unlike we could even dream of. And experience doing God's will as He wants done. If that doesn't blow you away, or the possibilities of that, I don't know what will. What if you put this element into your prayer life? This one alone is fantastic. What might the results be? Well, he's not done, and neither are we. So quickly, he says, give us this day our daily bread. It's the first time he really gets into the nitty-gritty of our lives. So we want to ask God to provide for today's needs. He cares about what you need. And so right here, Jesus is giving us permission and showing us the way to ask it. What's the point of this request? I mean, Jesus has already told us God knows what we need before we ask him. The bottom line is that this asking, give us our daily bread, is a prayer of faith. This does not mean I don't pray about tomorrow, but I leave today's burdens here as I pray them, entrusted to the one who is able, who knows, but also it disciplines you and me to be content with what we have and where we are today. It means I don't eat my way through a bag of Lay's worried about tomorrow. And it means I can't go without food in turmoil for the same reasons. We're all different and we handle stressors in different ways. God knows. He calls us to ask for what we need today. Learn to work within those boundaries and let Him deal with tomorrow. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Write that. Give us our daily bread. That's what he's conveying there. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So what we want to do with that is to ask for forgiveness and the power to forgive. This is a supernatural exchange of the heart. Jesus heaps the heavy on us to let us know we can't just be takers here. We can't simply receive grace and treat our offenders with contempt. There is a personal responsibility to give what we have been given, to live out the greatness we have experienced. The pain others caused us can run so deep. True forgiveness can seem unreachable. This instruction is not here to make us hopeless. 
to feel we're not forgiven because we don't have the capacity to forgive completely. It is here to help us recognize the gravity of the responsibility that we have. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask Him to give you the strength and the wisdom and the love for the one or the ones who have offended or hurt you deeply to forgive them because this is what he requires and he will. Then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What we want to do here is ask not to be led into temptation, but deliver. It's, I can't change the language very much and make it any more simple than that. Wait, I thought God did not tempt anyone. I thought that we learned that in scripture. What's this Jesus is talking about? lead us not into temptation. You're right. God does not tempt anyone. But there are promised times of testing, of proving. And there are areas and things and attitudes, temptations that prey on us and win us over time and time again. This is a prayer dripping with humility that asks God not to allow us to be put in situations that we cannot withstand. Rather, show us the way out. Make it clear. I mean, give us large blinking exit here lights if we need. Whatever it's going to take. But lead us not into situations that we cannot get out of. Show us the way out. It recognizes we cannot do it alone. It acknowledges our lives are now different. We have made our choice and with everything in us, we want to be free from what entangles and tries to destroy us. And He alone has the power to bring us through victoriously. This is the end of what Matthew records about prayer. But Luke has a few more words about it that I wanted to end on today. He first gives them an example of a person who has some company, who arrives late in the evening hungry. He's fresh out of groceries, and so he goes to his neighbor's house, and he starts banging on the door, knock, 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 and he doesn't stop. He says, I need some food, and the friend says, go away. I can't do anything. I'm already in bed. I'm not going to give you anything. And this is what Jesus says. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's because of his pesky persistence. That's why he's going to get the man some bread. He will get what he needs. What is Jesus trying to say? Because I never want to be a nag. I don't want to be a pest. That sounds so unnatural. But this is the calling. Be impudent in your praying. Be bold-faced. Be audacious even. And then Jesus adds. He's not done. He has one more illustration to go along with that. Well, he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish instead of a fish, give him a servant? For if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It is on the authority of the Son that we can ask and ask and keep asking. And it is on the goodness of the Father that He knows how to best give in response to that asking. So the suggestion here in terms of how we are to pray, this final one, is that we pray for big and we keep on praying. Here, Luke speaks of God freely giving the Holy Spirit the deeper things of God, going past the leaves, underground, past the root systems, and really digging into what lies beneath 
And for this, we absolutely should pray. And nothing should stop us from praying this, because it will be granted. But in the next chapter, if we flip back over to Matthew, he draws upon the same teaching. He's just got it placed in a different area. Instead of the Holy Spirit, it reads like this. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Well, the consensus, scholarly, on these is that both good things and the Holy Spirit will be granted. It's not one or the other, but a both. What that leaves out is that which we pray for that is self-seeking not in step with his will and not by definition good but consider what it encompasses how deep do you want to go how big of a bowl can you locate to come knocking and knocking and knocking trusting expecting and believing him will fill it how should we pray jesus not only tells us but he shows us i just encourage you to take these 10 tips that's basically what it narrowed down to 10 tips from the source learn from the one who knows and see how these might transform how you pray, and the effectiveness of your prayers as you do. Now, this had a lot of material in it, so I'm going to be um, sending this out in the newsletter that I have for subscribers. But also, if you just want to get the show notes, you can be a show note subscriber, and I also will post the just basic outline form in the show notes. So be sure to get those. Pass this along to a friend, because I think it's really instructive in how it can transform our prayer life, straight from the words of Jesus. In the meanwhile, don't forget to check out these free resources available online. I've been telling you about these for a few weeks, but they're still available. We have provided for you a 30-day reading plan to guide you on your own under the same topic, Truths Jesus Taught, so that you can go deeper on your own. And along with that, I've highlighted a verse or two for each day that would be the focal point of the passage for you to write out because we learn it better if we write it out. And I've created a 30-day printable journal. It's all free. And these types of resources are not always going to be free. We just started doing them and they're free right now. So take advantage of this while you can. I just want to say thank you for going on this journey with me. I delight in being with you here and know that I'm praying for your praying. And I look forward to being with you again soon. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Stirring Faith Podcast. We plan to release a new episode once a week, and I would invite you to become a subscriber because it makes it so much easier. Please remember to rate, review, and share the podcast. You may never know the difference that you can make by just making a recommendation and sharing a resource. So please pass along what you find here. Don't keep it to yourself. It's so easy to do. Post it from Spotify into your stories. I would personally be grateful. And remember... There is more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful resources at your fingertips. Just go to www.sheyearns.com where you're going to find more reading plans, videos, articles, and other resources, more than there's ever been before, to help stir more desire for God into your everyday life. I'm Cherry Strange, and it is always a pleasure to meet you here.